Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we rewrite it, and we'd have a chat about the story itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, and I am your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 12 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Uh, This is a special episode for a number of reasons. Well, hopefully it'll be a special one in a good way. In that this is the first episode of Fireside, as you will probably be able to hear, that I am recording from the road. I am not currently in the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network studio in Dublin. I am recording this to you in Modesto, California. I am staying in a in a very nice uh, Doubletree Hilton Hotel here in Modesto. Uh, I got very lucky now to have been put up in this hotel. I am, as I've probably said on previous podcasts, I've had this US tour coming up of two shows I'm doing here. Uh, We're doing Celtic Nights and we're doing World of Musicals, uh, two shows of the same company. We're currently on the tour of Celtic Nights. We're about a week on the road. Um, we flew into Canada, we had two shows, we had a show in Calgary in uh, Alberta and we had a show in Kelowna in British Columbia and then we made the drive down across the US border we had a couple of shows in Oregon there, we had a show uh, last night in Bend in Oregon beautiful, beautiful little town there Um, and we also had a show in Salem, Oregon not to be confused with the Salem in Massachusetts, where the witch trials were, as I discovered myself. Turns out I think there are four Salems in America in total. Um, and it was very snowy there. It's been quite snowy in all the places we've been. And now we're in California, and it's it's not quite sunny. You can feel it's a different climate, definitely. I can feel how as we drive further south into California, it will get sunnier. There's been a couple of sun splitting through the clouds at a bit and you can feel the sun coming through, but at the moment it is quite overcast. Which, to be fair, California is entitled to have its overcast days as well. I'm just being a selfish Irishman who wants it to be sunny all the time to experience at least a bit of that this year. I got myself some fantastic some fantastic new toys over Christmas. Got myself a lovely Zoom recorder um, and some good mics, some good SM58 Shure directional mics. Um, which hopefully should prepare me for the not-ideal recording scenarios. I'm hoping that you won't hear too much of an echo or that there won't be too much of a pop on the mic um, as I don't have the luxury of the studio that I normally have. 
Um, but as to make up for all of that, I am hopefully going to tie these episodes in with the tour in that I've started reading a book on American folklore and like Irish-American folklore tying the two worlds together. Last week's episode, of course, was one such kind of folklore story um, of the tobacco quest of just have an Irish man traveling over to America. So I'm hoping, hoping I can do a couple of those that will tie into my travels a little bit. But today, as we take another look at mythology, um, as you will have noticed, I kept this a secret until the release of this. Uh, but as you will have noticed by clicking into this today, today we're doing The Children of Lear, which is probably the most famous story from Irish mythology ever in general. Like, I mean... There's probably as famous or maybe more famous characters like Cúchulainn or Fionn McCool, but in terms of a story, or certainly the image of a story, this is the one. This is the one that everyone knows. And it was it was a totally different experience to adapt this story. Um, partly because it's so well-structured. I mean, you can tell by reading through it why it has survived so much and why it is as popular as it is. It's so visual. Um, but also... One of the, my favorite things about Irish folklore is, and mythology is the humor, the 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 dark humor that you that you get with it, and this is obviously this is or for, maybe not obviously for those who don't know it perhaps, this is a very very sad story. This is this is the tragedy of the children of Lear. This is it turns out this is one of the three sorrowful tales of storytelling. Uh, the other two being the Sons of Tyran, which we've already done, and the story of Deirdre of the Sorrows, which will be a story from later, um, from one of the later cycles of mythology, which we will get to soon enough. Um, but this is this is the other one. This is the Children of Lear. This is, this is very sad, uh, but also very nice, and certainly has its, its comic moments in there, I think, anyway. Um, but it was a totally different experience to adapt this than it there has been to any other story so far. And um, so I hope you enjoy it. I'll get straight to it. This is The Children of Lear on Fireside. The Children of Lear After the conclusion of the Second Great Battle of Maithara, Lu Lawvada stepped down as king of the Tuatha de Danann. In his place, the people of Dia chose as their new king, the Dagda. The Dagda was a righteous and great ruler. He reigned for 80 years, but eventually he succumbed to a wound he had received during the Battle of Moitera all those years ago against the Fomorians. That's how tough the two of Dedanon were, but also how hard a battle the Fomor had fought. When the Dagda had died, it came time again for a new king to be chosen. It was two who sought the crown. The first was Dagda's own son, Bodarik, and the other was Lear. Lear had been a sea god in his prime, but since the birth and maturing of his son Manonan, Lear had retired from his duties as a sea deity. He left all of that to Manonan. Now, with the time on his hands, still hungry for power and purpose, Lear sought the throne at Tara. However, Odaric was not just the Dagda's son. He was also a great warrior and a devoted family man. He was sworn in as king. There was a great festival to celebrate Bodaric's coronation. Lear was invited, but refused to attend. 
He was bitter in defeat and didn't mind telling anyone who would listen. The rest of the Tuatha Dé Danann were outraged. It was fair enough that Lear had sought the throne, but Bodarig was king now, and to disrespect the ruler of the Tuatha Dé Danann was totally unacceptable. Brez had been overthrown by such words years before. The same would not happen with Bodarig. The trickster and love god Engus, who was brother to the new king, suggested putting a curse on Lear, but Bodarig refused. He was kind and had no ill will towards Lear. He respected him even now and wanted to amend their relationship. Lear was summoned to Tara to stand before the king. What is it that you want? barked Lear. You dare speak like that to our king, roared Angus. He's not my king, snipped Lear. Outrageous, shouted one bystander. Treason, shouted another who just wanted to fit in. Enough said Bodaric in a soft but firm tone. Lear, I wish you to swear loyalty to me. You have got to be joking me, laughed Lear. I thought you would probably say that, but hear me out. I respect you, and while I am glad to have been elected king myself, I think you yourself would have made a great ruler. What's more... I don't wish to start my reign as king with bad blood. So, what do you suggest? I was sorry to hear that your wife died. While I know I could never replace her, I have three daughters, each young, intelligent, and beautiful. I would like you to marry a daughter of your choosing. Let us become family and end this feud. Lear had to admit to being touched. He had not told anyone of the passing of his wife yet, so was already greatly comforted by Bodaric's condolences. He saw for the first time that his political rival may in fact be a great king. I thank you, Marie. I accept your generous offer. However, I will not choose between your daughters as I'm sure I could not possibly choose. I am an older man, so I will marry your eldest daughter. That would be A, replied Bodaric, and a finer woman for a wife you couldn't have. It may seem strong, Bodaric offering up his own daughters like livestock, but it must be understood that even with age, Lear was an eligible bachelor, noble, proud and powerful, and all three daughters were willing to marry the former sea god. Bodaric would not have offered them up if this had not been the case. He may have been king, but he was also devoted to his family. A and Lear met, were married, and the feud between Lear and Bodaric was ended. Lear and A had four children together, one girl and three boys. Fenula was the firstborn, followed by A, who was named after his mother, and finally the twins, Fiacra and Khan. The family could not have been happier, but of course, sadly, this happiness was short-lived. After the arduous process of giving birth to the twins, A fell gravely ill. She did not have long to live. Lear sat crying by his wife's side. Lear, my love, please don't cry. You have given me a wonderful life and four beautiful children. And even though our time together was short, 
I could not have been happier. But what about our children? asked Lear. How are they to grow up without a mother? I will dedicate what life I have left to them, but I am an old man and they are young. Who else will protect them? You must marry again. That I cannot do. I was married before. No one could replace you. Do it for me, and more importantly, for the children. They exchanged their eternal love for one another, until finally, A died. Leah's children were all very young, the twins only babies. He mourned their mother while attempting to tend to their every need. Bodaric invited the grieving family into his home. He had fallen in love with each of his grandchildren. Each of them reminded him of his eldest daughter in totally unique ways. He decided to make another offer to Lear. I know no woman can replace A, and you are a wonderful father, but those children need a mother. My second eldest daughter, Aoife, remains unmarried. She could be a devoted wife to you and a mother to your children. Lear was reluctant, but chose to honour A's dying wish, and he was swiftly married to Aoife. Aoife proved to be well up for the enormous task of raising four children and being a wife to the grieving former sea deity. She loved each of them. But over time, this love turned into a bitter jealousy. She had given her heart and soul to Lear, but to her, he had only eyes for his children. She began to see that she would never be loved in the same way. She would forever, as she had always done, live in her older sister's shadow. These poisonous thoughts turned her own stepchildren into Aoife's sworn enemies. Something would have to be done. Aoife's first plan was to ask her closest servants to poison the children, to which she was stared at blankly. It is only my fealty to you that will make me not tell Lear of what you have asked of me. Not only are these children of royal blood, they're bloody children. Aoife began to see that she would have to take matters into her own hands. She would have to kill them herself. She had the gall and the stomach for the deed, but upon thought she realized that if she murdered them, the ghosts of the children may haunt her forever. She had to think of a way to get rid of them permanently without bloodshed. So Aoife decided to use magic. One day, Aoife took Fanula, A, Fiacra, and Khan on a chariot ride. They rested beside a lake, and Aoife encouraged the children to take a swim. None of the four of them needed any more encouragement. They all jumped in the cool, refreshing water. The children... Fanula, in particular, as the eldest and wisest of the four, had long suspected Aoife's loathing of them, and as such were suspicious, but cautiously optimistic that their stepmother was trying to make amends by taking them on this day out. But unfortunately, their suspicions were proved right. No sooner had the four children entered the water when Aoife turned them all into swans. Now... Look on yourselves, you precious children of Lear, mocked the triumphant Aoife. Never again shall you come between my love and I. I will bear him more children, better than any of you. You evil witch, cried out Fanula. 
How blind are you to not see our father will never love you after what you have done to us? He'll never find out. These are dangerous lands. Any kind of tragic accident is bound to occur. Our father will always find us and take care of us, and he will turn us human again. That child, or should I say, swan, is where you are definitely wrong. For even if you are found, I have made it that no magic on earth can reverse this spell. You will be swans until the woman of the south loves the man of the north. Until you have spent three hundred years here on Lake Darvrak, three hundred years on Srunamuel to the east, and finally three hundred years around the island of Inishglur off the west coast. With this, the young twins, Fiacra and Khan, began to cry. Hush, boys, scolded Fanula. Do not give this witch the satisfaction. The sight of the swans crying created the ever-so-slightest pang of regret in Aoife's blackened heart. The only means of relief I bestow on you, she said, is I will allow you to keep your speech, so that you may sing the songs of the she. And I can tell you that no music will be able to match the beauty of your song. Now, you bevy of swans, be gone from my sight. Aoife hitched back up her chariot and rolled back to her father's home. When Aoife arrived at Tara, Bodarek was instantly suspicious when he did not see his grandchildren with her. It is good to see you, daughter, but where are the children? I am afraid, father. Lear asked me not to bring them. He has grown mistrustful in his old age and does not want you to be around them. Bodarik didn't believe this for one second. He loved those children like his own, and he knew Lear knew that. In secret, the king had a messenger sent to the house of Lear to get to the bottom of the matter. My lord Lear, the king has sent me to ask after the well-being of your children, said the messenger. My children? Are they not at Tara with the king himself? No, sir. Your wife said you did not wish them to travel to Tara. The king was suspicious, hence why he sent me to find out. An overwhelming sense of dread hit the pit of Lear's stomach. He knew immediately some grave misfortune had befallen his beloved children, and worse, that Aoife herself was responsible. He sent out riders to every inch and breadth of Ireland in search of Fenula, A, Fiacra, and Khan. It was not long before a rider came upon Lake Darvrock and saw the clothes of the children on the shore. He feared the worst before being called by the voices of the four children. The rider looked up and saw four swans paddling frantically to the shore. Are you one of our father's men? asked Fanula. Are, are you? The rider hesitated. Yes, said Fanula grimly. We are the children of Lear. Riding as fast as he could, the rider made to Lear and swiftly brought him back to Lake Darvrock. When Lear heard his children's voices coming from the swans, he believed the terrible truth and he broke down in tears on the shores of the lake. Is there nothing that can be done? he asked. Nothing, replied Fanula. No magic can return us to human form until our sentence has been served. Lear's thoughts then returned to Aoife and a vengeance. He promised his children he would return soon 
and Lear rode for Tara. When he arrived, he was met with anger from Bodaric. Lear, where are my grandchildren? Ask your daughter, said Lear, who was now pointing at Aoife. Tell him, Lear demanded. Tell him how you cursed my children to spend an eternity as swans. Bodaric was heartbroken. Not only had his beloved grandchildren been cursed, but it was his own child who had been responsible. Sorrow quickly turned to fury. He had his guards seize Aoife and bring her before him. I can barely stand to look at you. But do you have anything to say? All I did, father, I did out of love. An unconditional, devoted love that has gone unrequited my entire life. You always loved A more than me. I've had to live with that my entire life. I couldn't then be married to a man who loved my sister more than me too. Even in death she haunts me. And now even with her being dead, you love those damn children more than you do me. Bodaric paused. I am sorry that you have felt that way all this time. And I've never said something until now. I have always loved all my children and grandchildren as equally and unconditionally as was humanly possible. I wish you had said something rather than committed this unspeakable, monstrous crime. For this I cannot forgive. For this, I wish it is you who had died and A lived. But death is too quick a punishment for you. As you have given my grandchildren a long and painful, drawn-out torment, so shall I give you. As they can never touch land again, neither shall you. But it is not the sea I send you to. I would not have you near those children again. You shall spend the rest of eternity in the sky. With that, Bodaric raised his druid wand and sent Aoife to the sky, where she still is today, immortal and unable to ever touch land again. With justice served, Bodaric and Lear and their entire households made their ways to Lake Darvrak. There they set up an encampment so that they could spend all the time they wanted with the children of Lear. Not only that, but the beautiful singing voices of the swans drew people from all around the country to the lake. The Tuatha de Danann were all drawn to hear the songs of their people. The children of Lear were looked upon and treated as people by those who loved them and so felt themselves like they were human again. But one day, Fenula realized a terrible truth. They had already spent 300 years at Lake Darvrock, except one night more. The tragedy of this was that Srunamwale was far to the north and they wouldn't get to spend every day with their father and grandfather. These lads lived a long, long time. The children of Lear would be alone at last. They felt again like children, and even more so, like the swans that they were. They said their tearful goodbyes to their father and grandfather. We wish we could stay, or that you could come with us. But the rough seas of Shrewn and Whale will await us, which would not be pleasant or safe for even you, a former sea god, said Fanula. I hereby decree, began Bodaric, that no swan is to be slain on the island of Ireland ever again. I wish I could do more for your children, 
but that should hopefully keep you safe from some harm. Once they had embraced once more, the children of Lear took flight. Srunam Whale lay between Ireland and Alban. The salt water and harsh gales were far more unpleasant than the tranquility of Lake Darvrock, to say nothing of their lack of company. The children of Lear knew straight away that this was where the real torment would begin. Soon after their arrival, there came a great storm. Fanula gathered her brothers. This storm is sure to separate us, sons of Lear. Let us quickly decide a meeting place so that we may rejoin one another. What about Carrigon Ron? asked Con, the youngest. We all know it. We'd be safe from harm there. The Rock of the Seals. That's a brilliant idea, Con, said Fanula. No sooner had they made their plan, when the winds and the rain came crashing down. It wasn't long before the four swans couldn't make out the shape of each other anymore. By the time morning had come, and the storm had passed, for the first time since they had been transformed, Fanula was left all alone. As quick as her swan legs and wings would carry her along the rough waves, Fanula made her way to Carrick on Rhone. She was worried the whole way that one or even all of her brothers would be lost forever. But to Fanula's great joy, as she reached the rock, she saw a white shape collapsed on top of us. It was Khan, who could barely even lift his head to answer Fanula's cries. Khan! Oh, Khan, you're okay! Told you it was a good spot gasped Khan before passing out with exhaustion. Fanula took her youngest brother under her wing and kept a vigilant eye out for the others. Soon Fiacra was seen swimming through the haze. He was shivering, his feathers sparse and ruffled. He too collapsed under Fanula's warm embrace. Oh, my brothers, if only A was here. Look behind you, came a voice. Fanula turned around to see her brother A standing triumphantly on the rock. They embraced, and the children of Lear were together again. That was not the only misfortune that befell them during their time at Srunam Whale. A harsh winter came as they slept by Carragon Rhone, which froze the swans to the rock itself. They awoke and had to move quickly to warm themselves and stop themselves from freezing to death, but the sudden movement caused them to tear their feathers and flesh pulling themselves free from the ice. The four children then had to endure the constant agony of salt water in their flesh wounds until the winters passed and the flesh healed and the feathers grew anew. By the time another three hundred years had passed, the children of Lear were weak, emaciated and broken. But when they knew the time had come, they made their way to the Isle of Inishglor on the other side of Ireland. When they arrived at the island, they saw a rider on the shore, the first person they had seen in 300 years. They soon recognised the rider as one of the Tua de Danon. They swam over and called to him. Are you the children of Lear? asked the rider. How many talking swans do you know? asked A. That's enough, A, scolded Fanula. My apologies, sir. We have endured many hardship these past years. We are the children of Lear. I am one of the many riders sent out by your father and grandfather in search of you. No one has seen you since you left Lake Darvrock. You are the first person we have seen since that day. 
But you said our father and grandfather are still alive. Alive and well, and living in Tara. Well, except for the absence of you four. The prospect of our family still living and remembering us is enough for us to weather this last spell of hardship until we can finally return home, said Fanula. And so the swans stayed at Inishglor for those final, long, miserable 300 years. When the last day came, they didn't know what to expect. Would they just wake up human? Or be transported back home? Neither happened. So with a final muster of what strength they had left, Fanula, A, Fiacra and Khan flew back to Tara. They were expecting the welcome of all welcomes, a roaring fire, food, drink, and most of all, the warm embrace of their father. What they found was an empty, abandoned castle that looked like it hadn't been lived in for centuries. The children of Lear flew around and didn't recognize anybody or anything around them. It finally dawned on them. The Tua de Danon were gone. They had left Ireland. At least that's what the children of Lear thought. It is true the reign of the people of Dia was over, but they had not left Ireland. They had gone underground, into the other world. They had become the she, the fairies. The heartbroken children returned to Inishglor, the closest thing to a home they seemed to know. They could at the very least now step on land, which was a very little comfort to them. It was around this time when the king of Connacht, Largnan, married Diuk, daughter of the king of Munster. This was the marriage of the man of the north and the woman of the south that Aoife had foretold. Diuk had heard of the beautiful singing of the swans of Inishglor, which now attracted thousands of birds from all around the country. She demanded of her new husband that he bring her the swans as a wedding present. Largnan swiftly dispatched soldiers to find those swans, but his soldiers could not capture them. When Djok informed Largnan that she would not come to his bed until the swans were hers, Largnan was forced to take matters into his own hands. He travelled to Inishglor and stalked the island in search of the children of Lear. Eventually, he spotted them by the beach, and he snuck up behind them and grabbed the necks of two swans in each fist. But the second Largnan's hands touched the swans, the feathers melted away, and the swans were transformed into four people. Four very, very old people. The ancient Fanula, A, Fiacra, and Khan lay on the sand, with the faintest of smiles on their faces. Largnan had recoiled in fright from what he had seen, he had barely believed the swans could sing, never mind transform like this. With her last faint effort, Fanula called to Lagnan. He went to her side. I don't know who you are or how you did it, but you broke the curse upon us. And for that, you have the eternal thanks of the children of Lear. One final thing I ask of you is if you can lay to rest Khan and Fiacre on my left and right side, and A by my face, so that we may all at last be at peace together. Without even considering, Lagnan duly did this, and when they were all together, Danula, A, Fiacre and Khan 
died, finally free from their lifetime of hardship. And that is the fate of the children of Lear. To be continued. And there we have it. Oh, the story of the children of Lear. I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, um, it was a very, very different experience, very different experience ad- adapting that, adapting that story. It, it was heavy. It weighed heavy on me. In a very good way, like it felt real, you know, and like it is such a wonderful story and so visual of, of the hardships on them and so descriptive. Um, but like you go on that journey with them and even there just reading that story, I... I read these stories as one take and then I make an inordinate amount of mistakes and the mistakes are edited out. Um, but so I just kind of read that as the one go, as you would hopefully be listening to it all in one go as well. And just kind of, I feel feel the weight of it now afterwards. Um, it's an incredible story. I mean, just to kind of spout now, like, I th- I think I can definitely see, and I I hope you agree with me, like why it's very clear why this is the famous one, why this is the one that everyone knows. Obviously, the image of the four swans is so strong, um, and the hardship of these four swans. But I think, I think it's the ending of this story that is what the least amount of people know. They know that there are four children that they're turned into swans. Maybe don't know the context of why or who by, um. But an issue I'd known for a long time before getting to this story was the problem problematic ending. I've spoken a good few times about how one of the most complex things about Irish mythology is the very reason we have evidence of it and have written accounts of it is also um, been one of the biggest hindrances to it. Or not even hindrances, just... There's been an angle, there's been a problem, and that is, of course, the conversion of Ireland to Christianity. That's when the two of the Danon were demoted from the gods that they probably were worshipped as into just being kind of more otherworldly beings. Um, they lost their... I'm trying to think of the word, that they weren't deities anymore. Um, and this, the Children of Lear, is a big example of that because in most accounts of the story... Now, this is an account... This is, I was trying to remember, because this is one we, most Irish people will know from school, because this is one we can be taught, because it's less bloody and violent, like I, certainly like the Tawn or any of the Cucullan stories are. Um, this is one that's quite clean, you know, and it's very, it's a very fairy tale-esque, it's very Brothers Grimm, it's, um, you know, it's simple and really strong, with very strong stock characters in it. Um, but towards the end of the story, um, when the children of Lear return to Inishglor, their final island, um, which is off the west coast of Ireland, um, they encounter a monk, and this monk converts them to Christianity before they die. Which is very nice, very comforting thought, I'm sure to a lot who are. Um, but I... I didn't like the idea of the entire story being made a Christian metaphor, which it obviously very necessarily probably was. 
Um, and it's a very it's very interesting this idea of these being the children of pagan gods basically and then being converted to Christianity. You know, like can you imagine that in any other context? Can you imagine like Hercules being converted to Catholicism? You know, in death on his deathbed. I'm sure possibly similar things did happen, but it seems it seems strange to me. Very interesting certainly and I can see exactly why it would have been done, you know, in those between like the 5th and ninth centuries AD or B AD yeah I'm sorry I had a momentary lapse there you can see why like when these St. Patrick and those early Irish saints when they did come and they started writing down these pagan stories and they were trying to convert Ireland they were trying to bridge the gap they weren't basically going everything that you believe is false and this is all right they're like what you believe is kind of true and here's how they can both be true as long as you now just from now on only believe our one. It's a it's an endlessly fascinating, you know, thing like the 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 cultural melting pot of how countries are formed and how societies are formed, especially ancient societies. Like the more I've been researching the myths, particularly the more I've been trying to get like a little bit more knowledge of of pre Christian of Celtic Ireland and to see how they kind of reflect on the stories and everything. And they're shrouded in so much mystery, and there's so much we don't know because it's so, so long ago, and there's so little written evidence for it. So it is amazing. It is a great gift that those early Christian scribes have given to us in that we do have some version of our myths, of the Irish myths left. But as, yes, I say a lot on this um it is also a little bit problematic from a storytelling point of view. So I didn't want to change the ending just for the sake of it. Just I, like I, the last thing I want to preach is a kind of anti-Christian or anti-Catholic message. Um, I just wondered, was there another, was there other endings? And there are, there are several different endings and they don't know what the real ending to it is. Um, and I quite liked the idea of Yes, it was always going to have to end sad. They were always going to die. But that I personally think just the idea of them being together at the end, that's all that matters. They don't need this promise of of immortality, but just that the time they spent together. And who knows, Like it is open to that, like, of them possibly going to to their own other world, other world. Like, do they get to rejoin Lear and Bodarig there? Lear actually is a really interesting, like, considering his name is in the title, he's not, of course, in the story very much. Uh, what I didn't realise as well is that Lear, the character, the king, and Lear, the sea god, the father of Manonan, are possibly, but not necessarily, the same person. Um, so I tried to bridge the gap with that a little bit, because, of course, like his children being cursed to the sea and like all of these horrendous things befalling them, like sea-wise with the weather, it seems mad that they would have a sea deity as a father and that he wouldn't be able to do anything about this. So I kind of crafted this idea that he's retired and that Manon and his son, was he was very much in charge and kind of dissociated from all of that. Um, so I'd be interested to see what any of you thought of that. Also, any of this, like, this is, this is something now we're getting into it now, like this is something where I'm having kind of stronger opinions on. Um, 
and would always like to be open to the concept of chatting about this because this is I'm learning a lot of this I've always had the interest in this but a lot of these stories I'm just learning now as I as I write and as I adapt them it's my favorite way to learn things is just by doing it and um, but that of course is going to mean that that is a process that's a learning process that's gonna I'm gonna the more I learn of course the think there could be contradictions later on or I might change opinions on that I don't think I'll change opinions on this kind of thing but um it is, it's a learning process. And so like, I hope that you as the listeners, um, you're kind of learning all this with me, you know, there'll be some of you who are listening who know a lot more about, a lot more about Irish mythology than I do, or there might be some who don't know anything at all. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle now, I think at this stage, um, but, and I'm really enjoying that, but I'm only learning more and more. Um, and so I hope you're enjoying being on this journey with me and that we can continue to make this journey a conversation um, it's as good a time as ever to thank you all again constantly for listening so far and please do continue to subscribe and to leave ratings on iTunes these really do make a difference um now is at the time like now that this podcast is really starting to find its feet this of course is going to be a real demo episode in terms of I hope that this the audio quality on this sounds okay I'm conscious of um of the room, that there might be a little bit of an echo. I'm conscious of the hard P sounds on the microphone because I don't have a, what's called a pop shield, for those who don't know, um, which stops the kind of sounds that you probably heard there. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the editing process would like, but this is all what it's a part of it, and I'm delighted. I'm so, so happy um, to be able to do this on the road. It's my favorite thing. I've like right from starting this podcast I knew I was going to be doing this US tour and I knew I wanted to take the podcast on the road I tried to record as many as I could before going on the road to take the pressure off myself um, so that I could do them properly um, and I have another couple of scripts waiting to go um, so your your weekly podcast shouldn't be interrupted ever providing that the audio quality hopefully is of a high enough standard um, which we will soon find out I don't think of any other characters in it. Bodarg is obviously a very cool king. Real nice guy, real sound. Aoife, sorry. Yeah, Aoife is... She's the one I'm kind of most interested in this story. She'd be one I'd like to revisit, possibly. Real tragic character, like... Very much, like, bad, the the villain of the piece, there's no doubt, from a storytelling point of view. Um, but a bit of a tough break, yeah. Middle child of the favoured sister, kind of auctioned off. Um, and you can really understand that rationale of her hating children that weren't hers um, because of a love she felt wasn't being reciprocated to her. Like, that's really dark. Like, it goes there with her that she does contemplate killing them and tries to have them killed. And then that, that just that slight remorse of allowing them to keep their voices. And her punishment, her punishment is such a strong visual of her up in the sky. Like, I think about that all the time now. Um, that's a, the real moment of of the kind of dark, almost comic nature of Irish mythology, of her being just cursed to the sky forever. Um, and I love that visual. <clears throat> Other strong, strongest visual, I think, as well, that I think really gets the tragedy of it all is when they're on the Srunwail, which is the phrase I cannot say... Um, They'll hopefully all be edited out, but you have no idea how many takes there was on me trying to pronounce Serunum Whale every time. as a total tongue twister. Um, but the children of Lear being frozen to the spot, being frozen to that 
seal rock and the flesh and the feathers being torn away from them and the salt water in the wounds and just them being separated, them being blown apart and finding their way together. It's such it's such strong imagery. It's so um it's hard hitting, I find anyway. And those are all like those are all just further reasons why I think this this is such a strong story and why it survived. It's devas it's a devastating one to be reading to young kids. Again, I'd be very interested to find like what the what are the sanitized, what are the children's versions of these? Cause when I was been trying to find stories originally like i tried to find like children's books of irish myths to see like what are in them you know what stories did they isolate how did they take them out because certainly some sources of irish mythology is just so sprawling it's like all together and it's hard to find out like like something like the story of the salmon of knowledge you know that's just a very isolated like chapter in the grand story of fionn mccool like you know, someone's taken that out and made that into its own short story which has become famous in itself but if you were to look at like a book of folklore of a book of the the Fenian cycle which that's part of it would be quite a minor part of it that you need to extract from it um but this this is a story so we're kind of coming to the end of the mythological cycle for now anyway um because I don't want to brush past it but because I'm so anxious to get to so many of the other things as well but I think like I think it's had a bit of a fair the next there'll be a folklore story next week and then the following week um That'll be the final story of the mythological cycle for the time being anyway. Um, which will be cool. It'll be a little bit sad. Um, not sad, but just like interesting that like to have come to the end of one of the four cycles. It's the one that, like I said before, has survived the translation to Christianity the least. There is the least of it. It's the most sparse. Um, they get a little bit better as they go along in terms of sources and how much like... Obviously, the Ulster cycle being the very most famous, the story of Cúchulainn and Queen Maeve and the Tánbalcúnia and all, um, which we'll see where I think we're toying with me might go. I need to find out which is chronologically next because um, I thought the Fenian cycle was, but I think the Ulster cycle might be. I am thinking I'm probably going to go Fenian cycle next. I want to go Fionn McCool and the Fianna. That's what feels like the right next thing because... I anticipate the Cattle Raider Cooley and the Cucullin story, that that'll be a big one. That'll be, I don't know how I'm going to attempt that yet. Like that'll be taken a breaking down in a totally different way and that'll take a different kind of work, I think, because it's so famous and it's so good and I adore it so, so much. But that is all for a later date. Please continue to send me messages. I've been getting lovely messages, lovely retweets. Um, that's really nice. I'm not the very best at the social media. I'm trying to get better at it through this and through the tour. Um, so please do continue to follow me on Instagram at OlahanSolo. Um, like the Fireside page on Facebook if you want for constant updates and everything like that. And yes, thank you again for listening. And I will see you all next time by the Fireside. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.